We will continue today with Chuvos of Rabbanim Hasidim, a famous Hasidish Rabbanim who were known as great Tamil Chachamim who wrote Shailot to Chuvot. Today we'll discuss the Chuvos named Divrei Chaim. Again, the name Divrei Chaim to me did not strike a bell immediately, but of course the name of the author here is perhaps more famous, Reb Chaim Sanzer, Reb Chaim Halberstam. I think it was interesting that last week we discussed Avnei Nezer, and I suggested that more people would recognize the name of the Chuvas, the Avnei Nezer, the name of the actual author. In this case, the opposite is true. Reb Chaim Sanzer is well known, Reb Chaim Halberstam, whereas the name of the Sefer, Devei Chaim, is not as well known. Reb Chaim Sanzer <clears throat> was born in Galicia in 1793. He learned by the greatest of the Hasidic Sherebis at that time. For example, he was a student of the Chose, a student of Reb Naftali Rebshitzer, a student of the Belzer Rebbe, a student of Israel of Rojin. All, <clears throat> all those Rebbes were not necessarily known for their knowledge of Torah's Hanigle. Nevertheless, Reb Chaim Sanzer is well known, especially because of the chivas he wrote, the Divrei Chaim. When he moved to Sanz, he began a yeshiva there, approximately in 1830. He was very, very successful in his yeshiva, was very careful to teach Torah Lishma, not mix it that much with his Hasidic philosophy, he was very opposed to the opulent life of certain Hasidish Rebbes, specifically the school of Ruzhin, Rebbe Israel Ruziner, who was known as living a life of Kavod Melachim, and he felt it was important in his generation for Hasidim to show this. Nevertheless, Reb Chaim Valajner, Reb Chaim Sanzer, strongly disagreed with him. And in fact, there was a whole discussion, a whole fight about it, between Hasidim. He wrote the Divrei Chaim, a number of volumes. Today we'll discuss only of the, a few of the Chuvos and Arachaim and Yeridea, which I feel show a lot about who Reb Chaim Sanzer really was. But it's interesting that in the Svarim, of course he, cla- he quotes classic Svarim, Gemara, Rishonim, Achronim, but he also uses Svarim that I'm not normally sure you would find in most Hasidish uh, uh, Shutim. For example, he quotes uh, the Kuzari, the Maral, or Emdin. He was very much in favor of ecstasy in Tfilah. And he introduced Nigunim into the Tfilah Hasidit. Of course, his descendants are well known, and his dynasty continued until today. For example, uh, the uh, Klausenberger Rebbe, the one who built the Kila of Netanya, the Devayatsiv, is a direct descendant of Reb Chaim Sanzer, and the name Halberstam, of course, is very well known in the whole Hasidic world. So many Rebbe, so many names of Halberstam are connected to the Divrei Chaim. One of the tshuvas that I found 
uh, interesting as a an approach of Reb Chaim Sanzer is found in Yeredeya Chelik Beis in the section of Kavod of Tamini Chachamim. There's a special a special section called Kavod of Tamini Chachamim. In that in that section, in Shuva Kufe, he responds to someone who wrote him a letter about a certain teacher, a Malamid, who said the Orachayim did not write Beruach HaKodesh. Now, to me, sometimes, as a person who is more in the Misnagdisha world than the Hasidisha world, sometimes it seems to me that it's a compliment to some way that someone did not write Baruch HaKodesh. It means that his own effort, what he did, his yigiya, his intelligence plus his effort, created such a beautiful sefer. But apparently this is not the approach of the Reb Chaim Sanzer in his tshuva. He said he received the question about what to do with this melamed, who said that our Chaim was not written Baruch HaKodesh, and said, I don't understand what your issue is. It's clear that Ruach HaKodesh exists today. People who are fitting to receive Ruach HaKodesh have it today. Even though the Gemara says that Nevuah has been batel, nullified, since the time of the Churban Beis HaMikdash, but nevertheless, Ruach HaKodesh is there. And he quotes the Gemara in Bava Basra, that from the time the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, Nevu was taken away from the Vim and given to Chachamim. And the Gemara says that it was not taken away from Chachamim. And what that means is Chacham is better than a Navi, the Gemara says. And the way he interpreted that Gemara, and of course there's a famous discussion of the Ramban on that Gemara, which we won't go into in great detail right now, but the, he seems to prove Reb Chaim Sanzer from the, from that Ramban, from the Ritva, from the Rambam, and here he quotes the Rambam in Morinavuchim as well, that, that people have Racha Kodesh even into, in today's times. He quotes other sources that Racha Kodesh still exists. Therefore he says, You you wrote that certain people who are gedolim said that they do not believe that Ruach HaKodesh exists today. I don't believe, Reb Chaim Sanzer said. I don't believe that anybody said that. Who, how could any disgusting person even suggest such a thing? But the truth is obvious that even today, Chachmei HaEmes have Ruach HaKodesh, as proved by the Rambam in Moronavuchim that he quoted, and the Ramban that he said clearly. Therefore, the Arachayim definitely wrote his Sefer Baruch HaKodesh, not only him, but even in our generation. If a person is Ra'ul then his Sefer was written Baruch HaKodesh. It means, Hiskim B'chokhmato Lamito Shel Torah. Maybe his definition of Ruach HaKodesh might be a little different than what I would think it means. Nevertheless, he says Ruach HaKodesh exists. The Shulchan Aruch has written Baruch HaKodesh. A teacher who denied the fact that the Arachayim had Ruach HaKodesh is 
no less an apikaris. He does not believe in Gdoli Hador, that Archaim had the capability of Ruach HaKodesh. Anybody who denied this is kafar b'ikar Ruach HaKodesh. He just scoffed at the Gemara Bava Basra, and therefore you should definitely fire the teacher. The only question that Reb Chaim Sanzer had is, I'm not going to tell you that you don't have to pay a salary. Because in order to do that, I would have to have the litigant in front of me. You should only decide it in Torah when the person in question is there. Maybe there was some sort of mistake. He said, for this, we ask your local Orthodox rabbi. Very interesting the way he phrases it. Go to your uh, local rabbi and he'll decide about the about the payment. But there's no doubt that Ruach HaKodesh exists in our time and this fellow should be summarily dismissed. Interesting that in the edition of Devei Chaim that was printed fairly recently, a new edition was printed in Brooklyn under the auspices of the Hasidic Shirebis. It was printed in 2003 by the Bavava Yeshiva all connected to sons in one way or another. They have a, a new edition, which has obviously footnotes, suggests you look at other sources, and uh, he quotes a tshuva of the Beis Shlomo, who dealt with this in a certain to a certain community, and he has the historical data of exactly what happened at that time. The issues that faced many Hasidic Shirebis and became... Uh, Issues that Hasidim were very makbid about are found here, of course, in uh, many cases. For example, the tshuva about machine matzis. Now, there is so much literature about machine matzah that I assume a person could write a whole book about the various tshuvas. I just found this tshuva a little bit unusual in one respect. In Arachayim, and of course, you'll find much more literature by in, in all these footnotes about other people that discuss the same issue. But he quoted Chuvas and said that uh, many people said it was Aser, and I agree with him. Even though, he said, I could argue with some of their points. But... I know it's Aser because a certain Rav HaGon, Mordechai Zev, I really do not know who that is, but he quotes a Rav HaGon, Mordechai Zev, who saw in his own eyes that you cannot clean the machines well. How many obstacles are there? And Reb Chaim said, I have other reasons that say it's Aser, but they're hidden. I'm not going to tell them, like I have a tradition from my father-in-law, that you should not always reveal all your reasons, but you should pass in the din clearly, and whoever listens, listens. So I think anybody who makes matzahs with a machine matzah, it's chametz gamor. I also want to tell you that a, a certain uh, businessman who was here from Ungarin, and he saw how the kale das, the kalim, the ones who are not careful about Torah mitzvahs, I saw them, they made machine matzahs, and I, and he saw that, and he showed them that it's chametz gomor. They were very ashamed, and even the rabbi who allowed those matzahs regretted it, changed his mind. 
Therefore, the Tzanzah said, there is no heter whatsoever. Now, what can I do? If they don't listen to me, they'll eat chametz and Pesach. But I can't do anything about it. Uh, the fact that if I say it's treif, it's chametz, they might leave Torah in general, they might, that's not my issue, I cannot be matir. In the following tshuva, he repeats and emphasizes that someone apparently said, if you say the chametz, the matzahs or chametz gamor, then what about places that do use them? Aren't you mozi laz on them? And we know, especially in the area of Gittin, that new innovations in Gittin were, <coughs> to be more machmir, certain things were discouraged. Because they said, <coughs> by insisting upon new changes, you're going to be mozi laz on all the Gittin that were written until now, and say that Rachman al-Islan, those Gittin were not valid, and all kinds of Isurim were created. So, Reb Chaim San said, this is not such an issue. Here, the old way is the correct way. In Gittin, we're saying the old way was correct, and therefore, today there shouldn't be changes. We're saying the same thing. The old matas are correct. The matas that were done originally by hand are the, are the correct way. Now, in fact, if people are mekel, you're not going to say chumras and matzah will tell you that other um, people who are machmir are wrong. For example, he says that people change the kalim more often. We know that uh, in 18 minutes, you consider the matzah to be already chametz. So we switched all the all the different parts of the of the uh, kalim that we use in, in matzah. We switch them, we wash them, we clean them. If somebody does it in a shorter time. They use new ones every time. You're not going to say that each person can be machmi whatever he wants. You're not going to say it's a problem that some people are going to be mozi laz on other people. So, and again he repeats that the fact that some people do it does not mean it's true. Last year I saw somebody who told me that it's chametz gamur. By the way, he said another comment related to his concept of being machmir and how what do you do with people who are mekel before. He said, for example, if Jewish married women would go out without a head covering, like in certain countries, and they have some source that it's permitted. So are we going to say that in our countries we should allow people to walk begule rosh? Because then you're going to be talked badly about the people in the other countries? Anybody with a straight head will not agree to that. And therefore, I don't understand your whole question. Why do you have to discuss this issue? We are doing right. They are doing wrong. Finished. Then he adds, of course, I never saw the machine matzahs. By what they described to me, what they told me, tells me but that it that it's definitely usher. But I really should judge only by what I see. Bottom line, it's usher. Finished. Now, I find that interesting because the main reason he said that it's usher is because he said the machines were not well done. They were not mishuchlal. They were not really good machines and therefore it was chametz kamor. This would of course leave the argument open over the years that the machines have become so much more modern, 
so much cleaner, the system is so much improved that this tshuva should no longer apply at all. Other people have discussed the issue of lishma. Can you can, can the matzah be considered matzah? Is the the fact that it's baked by automa- automation is that considered lishma? There might be even kabbalistic reasons why you can discuss. Of course, Reb Chaim Sanzu did hint at this when he said there are other reasons to forbid it, but I won't go into them. But since his issue, his question is mostly about the effectiveness of these machines, one could really argue what the situation would be today. A similar tshuva and a very similar approach was found in the second volume of Arachayim, the very first tshuva. And the question was asked there about making tzitzes with a machine. So, he said that apparently the person that wrote to him apparently tried to explain why it was proper to use a machine for for tzitzis. And he said to him, I respect you very much. I looked at it and it seems to me that you... It's a, what you wrote is is very nice, but I saw what you think, and therefore, even though kivain la emet la now I'm not sure what the first person said. It seems from the tshuva that the first person allowed it, and he said, "Reb Chaim Sanzer, Ulam Chas V'Shalom Melashotze, Chas V'Shalom that you would allow it." And but again, what's the reason? So he said the problem is to check the pishtan. Is you have to be very careful how to how to clean it, and how to arrange it. The tzitzes were afraid of kilayim, and as a whole thing about the practical issues that they might be chas v'shalom made into kilayim. And then he starts talking about if you if you manufacture it in a big factories, I'm really afraid because maybe non Jews will be involved in it, and then there really will be a problem with with many different psulim, and who can talk to them? So therefore, I would not be matir it. It should not be a stumbling block for all base Israel, and nobody. You should be careful. He said not to be matir. And he said, then, in fact, in, even business-wise, he said, it doesn't make sense. They won't make profit in the end. I really would you expect you to listen to me. And he repeats it again in the, in the next, next part of the tshuva, which is uh, re- just reiterating not to use it. But again, he did not discuss the issues involved whether there it's kilai, I'm sorry, whether it's lishma, whether it's considered to be made by by men, etc., etc. His basic issue was that the machines are no good. You can't check the machines properly. You can't be sure that the tzitzes will not be made out of kilayim. Today, of course, we have such much better machines. One would wonder 
Why would what would Reb Chaim Sanzer say in such a gener, in such a generation? My assumption, of course, is that he would not allow it, but he would have to write different reasons, presumably. In Arachaim Chelik Beis, he has another tshuva, which again would be interesting in, t- in term, uh, terms of today's world. A very short tshuva. Apparently, at, even at his time, let's remember, he was born in the end of the 18th century. He was a Rav in Sanz in 1830. We're talking, uh, let's say, between 1830 and 1850. The tshuva is not dated. But the question, people started taking out mirrors to look in their tefillin, when they put in their tefillin shalrash, they wanted to see if the tefillin are really in the right place. So they took mirrors with them and looked in the mirror. This is something that's very common today. In fact, many, many very, very uh, Haredi type of places give out mirrors in a little case when they you, you buy tefillin to check your tefillin. So he thinks, says Reb Chaim Sanzer, divrei borut. It's amiratzis to do this. He says, because first of all, even if you don't put your tefillin exactly in the right place, the Gemara says in Erevin, that there's a place in the head, there's enough room in an, in an average size head that you could put in two pairs of tefillin. So, if that's true, you don't have to be careful that it's exactly in the right place. So, why should you bother looking in the mirror? He doesn't add any other point to this. But it seems to me that this might be a question of looking in mirrors in general. The Hasidish custom Many people felt it was not appropriate for men to look in mirrors ever. And if that would be true, this might be the real reason for not using the mirror. But here he just says it's borut. It's amaratsis to use a mirror because it's not necessary. He was also asked, what would happen if tefillin are not exactly in the right place in terms of within the hairline? Let's assume that the rove is in the right place, but the miut is not there. And he said, he just quotes a tshuva of the Beis Yaakov, that the entire tefillin have to be inside the hairline. And he quotes a Be'aretev, etc., look in the Shah tshuva. Interestingly enough, this issue, which perhaps could be the reason for the mirror, almost contradicts what he wrote in the beginning, he said, don't use the mirror because there's plenty of room on, the, on your on your head to put on two pieces of film. But nevertheless, you do have to be careful that it's inside your hairline. I guess he feels that you can do for sure without a mirror. But you, a lambdisha question, which he doesn't discuss, would be, when do you say rubo kukula? When, when do you not say rubo kukula? Rubo kukula would mean if the rove is in the right place, then it's all in the right place. In certain things, you do not say rubo kukulo. You, the whole thing has to be in the right place. Later on, of course, in the uh, beginning of the 20th century, Rav Cook uh, took this uh, issue very, very seriously when he met, noticed that many people did not put the tefillin in the right place. And he wrote a whole kuntris called Chavesh Pe'er, printed in the standard editions of Rav Kook Svarim. A whole... A whole uh, Kuntris, at least it could be called a safer, but at least a Kuntris, to explain why Rav Kook wrote it because of what he saw in his generation and the fact that Rav Kook went to explain why you are not Yotze if the tefillin are not completely inside the hairline. The, as I said, Rav Chaim Sanzer just said you do not need a mirror, but the tefillin have to be completely within the hairline.
he has a question, of course, that came up many times in the history of medicine. In Chelek Bey, Simon Chafei, he discussed the question about saving a non-Jew's life on Shabbos, which would involve Chil Shabbos. Tshuva number Chafei was written to a Rav who was a Chassid, a Chassid Amaforsam. I assume he means really a Chassid, not just somebody who's very pious, but I assume he means a real Chassid. And the question was, could a, a Jewish doctor be Mechal Shabbos to save a non-Jew? The uh, addition that I've mentioned before quotes other tshuva spe- specifically a question in, that occurred in Tafra Shlamit uh, that apparently relates to the same issue. And he said, it is true, the Achronim Paskin, and he quotes a number of Achronim, that you are allowed to do an Easter Rabbanan for sure, to save a non-Jew on Shabbos. But, to do an Easter Daraisa, I did not find anybody who's Mekel. You are, of course, allowed to uh, save a Jew on Shabbos, but just because of what we call Eva, that we're afraid of our relations between the non-Jews and Jews, I don't think you can be Mechal Shabbos in an Isa Daraisa. And he mentions a few things that he felt are do involve an Isa Daraisa. For example, uh, bloodletting, which uh, surprisingly I found that is done today for certain uh, blood problems. They still do what we call a Kazat Dan. So he says there's an Isa Daraisa involved. And uh, other points he also made that you should be machmir. Although I found that the custom of doctors is bimekel, and I heard that in your country, in those countries, there was a takana to allow it, but I never saw it. In other words, Reb Chaim Sanzer is aware of the situation that people had been matirit. He himself did not real really feel that they could find the hat to be matir in Issa Daraisa. But he knew there were countries that somehow the postcom of that country had allowed it. We know that in, this has become a major issue in throughout the ages. I'd just like to mention that Rav Unterman, the former chief rabbi of Israel, Zechat Tzadik Levracha, went to America once and gave shiurim about this topic, why he felt that you were, would be allowed to save a non-Jew's life on Shabbos. Other people disagreed with him, a whole article, many articles were written and discussed about it in more modern times. I'd like to point out that one of my friends, Dr. David Applebaum, Hashem Yikom Damo, a great doctor, a great Tamit Chacham, once told me that he had been involved in emergency medicine for many years. He worked in America, and then later on, of course, came on Aliyah, and worked setting up the new uh, a whole new system in Shari Tzedek for the uh, emergency unit. But he mentioned to me that he felt he could do every emergency pr- procedure necessary on Shabbos to save non-Jews because he knew how to do everything in a way that was an Isra de Rabbanan and not an Isra de Raisa. He knew, how to, he knew he, enough lambdas, he was a very big time at Chacham, 
that he never had to be Michal Shabbos and Nisa Daraisa, but that that did not prevent him from doing his work. So I assume a Tamit Chacham, a person who knows how to do it, can even follow the tshuva of Reb Chaim Sanzer and only allow Yisurim de Rabbanan. But nevertheless, it is important to see the latest uh, literature on the subject. I mentioned, for example, Rav Winterman wrote a tshuva about it. The last tshuva I'd like to mention today, again, to show the attitude of Reb Chaim Sanzer, was found in Archaim Chelek Beis, Simen Samach. And the question was asked about a book that was attributed to the Rambam. The Rambam, of course, uh, that we know, the uh, main svarim that he wrote, but there were other books that had been attributed to the Rambam. For example, in Tshuva Samech of Yeridea Chelek Beis, he men- mentions the book of the Rambam called Milat Higayon. Now, it, in Venice, the Yishin Vav, and has since been reprinted. It was This book was attributed to the Rambam. Now, what happened was, Mendelssohn, Moshe Mendelssohn, the famous author of the Be'ur, and his whole standing in the Jewish community was quite an issue of debate. Moshe Mendelssohn published an edition of this Milati Gayon with his commentary. And the question would be, what should you do with it? And he says clearly and unequivocally, this sefer should be burned. Even though it is, even though if it, it is a work attributed to the Rambam, therefore the fact that uh, uh, it is being burned does not, even though it's of the Ramna, it doesn't disturb me. There's a mitzvah to burn it. We should not have any benefit from the Rishayim. You can't distinguish between even a Sefer Torah and other, and other books. I heard from his father-in-law, says Reb Chaim Sanzer, to put it in Geniza. I don't know why he said it. I think it should be burned. But my father-in-law said it should be put in Geniza, not burn it. So, there were other people who even, Gedali Israel, who even used the Be'ur of Mendelssohn, and even quoted occasionally. But nevertheless, we saw today a number of tshuvas. Reb Chaim Sanza reflected a real Hasidish approach in tshuvas, whether it's to Aser, Machine matzahs, machine sitzes, whether it's to not to use mirrors for tefillin, but it's certainly an approach uh, that reflects uh, thinking of a great posek, a great chassidish rebbe, Reb Chaim of Sanz.